0: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm George Scott, Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and today I'm joined by Simon Bromley, a regular on the podcast and our senior technical writer. We're kicking off a new series on indoor training in partnership with Wahoo, and we'll be bringing you four episodes over the next couple of weeks covering our indoor training tips, how to choose a smart trainer, a coaching Q and A, and much more. So today, Simon, we're going to talk about our indoor training tips and some of our hacks in terms of our personal setups and and how we like to train indoors. So to kick us off here in the UK, the clocks have gone back. There's a chill in the air. Have you started your indoor training for this winter?
1: Yeah, I have. I think, as you said, the clocks have gone back and the kind of weather has taken a turn. I think we had a very, you know, we had a really nice September with lots of dry, dry days and a bit of sunshine. But the weather's kind of started. The leaves are on the ground. It's, it's kind of wet and damp. And um, as someone who really likes a clean bike, training indoors is a, is, is often preferable for me.
0: I mean, we'll, we'll come on to this later today or in the series, but, you know, indoor training has changed a lot over the last few years in terms of the rise of the smart trainer and, and various apps that you can use to make indoor training more interactive and fun. But you know, have you been someone who has always turn to the indoors in winter even when it was a case of sitting in the garage on the turbo trainer doing a horrible pyramid session or something like that
1: yeah so i got into indoor training like you know almost a decade ago and and i think back then i just started doing time trialing and and i think indoor training was a kind of a bit of a a performance advantage for me because i could do you know proper 20 minute intervals on the tt bike obviously you know staring at a wall or whatever And, and most people Obviously, that was the era of dumb trainers and most people just just didn't do it. Everyone did uh, you know, just had a winter bike and kind of braved the elements. But um I'm I I'm not a huge winter rider, really. Like I'm I'm quite skinny and I get really, really cold. So indoor training, obviously, it's famously nice and warm. <laughs> so yeah, it really it really suits me. And and as you say, like f- things have changed so much in the last five years, especially and it's just got better and better. And, and, you know, I, I have to say when the kind of the rise of indoor training apps came along, I was a little bit skeptical and thought, you know, it's just interval training with, you know, watching something else on the screen, but actually uh, I, I've really got into some of them. So I've, it's, it's been, been great for me.
0: I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm someone who in the past has, uh, you know, dabbled in indoor training and has definitely found it useful in terms of either keeping hold of fitness through winter or, or certainly improving fitness, it's very time efficient. But I you know, struggled for motivation when there just hasn't been a motivator like there is now with smart trainers being more realistic than than ever, certainly compared to old dumb trainers and, and the rise of indoor cycling apps, which you know, whether you want a, a social experience or a structured training planner, are, are much better than anything we had in the past. Um, and so, as I said at the top, you know, in this podcast, we will talk through some of our indoor training tips, some of our hacks, but also our individual setups and what we like to use to get the most out of indoor training. So I think to to get us started, can you talk us through your current setup that you've got at home?
1: Yeah, I can. So I so my current uh, I've got an Elite Direto XR, which is like Elite's top end smart trainer, obviously you know, being a kind of cycling Illuminati industry insider. I have access to kind of slightly nicer setups and perhaps the average person, but it's a really good trainer. And obviously you can read the review on bikeradar.com. very highly rated. It's got great power accuracy, great ride feel. It's nice and quiet. Like, you know, it, it ticks all of the boxes. And, um, typically on that, I, I have my time trial bike on that set up most of the time because you, you know, it, it training outdoors on the time trial bike on, on UK roads can be a bit precarious, you know, when you're in the area position, you don't have access to the brakes. And especially during the winter when it's dark and things like that, you know, you're going really, really fast. So it's a great way to get in training kind of in the time trial position inside of things like that. And obviously I can put my road bike on it as well, but, um, I quite like to do a lot of it on the time trial bike. I use, uh, I typically use swift and do it on my laptop i have a little second screen that's slightly bigger put it in front of me i have a really nice big fan and a trainer mat and i just do it in my spare room
0: <laughs> well, i think you know we'll, we'll we'll come on to i think you know f- for me you know i'm someone who really benefits when it comes to indoor training from having a setup in position ready to go um you know, I'm, I'm a creature of habit and so sometimes you know if you're not quite as motivated as you should be to train um unfolding the the, the trainer and and taking the wheel out of the bike and and getting the bike on the trainer even though that's probably only a, f- a five minute job that can be enough to uh you know to to stay on the sofa or to to do something else so I'm the same you know I like to have a uh, um my setup in in place and I moved house recently so I don't have that currently at the moment but I think that's the, that's the kind of first job for me this winter to get back into the the indoor training mindset is to um get my equipment set up um again I'm very fortunate I've got a, a attacks Neo that I've had for a few years, which is a a brilliant trainer, but also one that's very heavy and quite cumbersome and and definitely not the kind (laughs) of thing that you want to be um unfolding and and packing away um before and after every ride. Um, So you know you've kind of talked us through some of the the kind of benefits of indoor training in terms of not having to clean bikes, um, being able to use the the time trial bike in your case and use the TT position and and practice that when it's perhaps not so safe to do so in the road on winter. But you know, broadly speaking, what are you know, some of the benefits that someone who hasn't yet completely taken to indoor training? Um, you know, why, why might they turn to it this winter?
1: I think yeah, for me, and I suppose for a lot of people, I think the number one benefit is how time efficient it is. You know, when you go out for a ride, you know, if I even I, I live you know, relatively close to the countryside now, I don't live in the city centre, but it's still a decent ten or fifteen, maybe twenty minutes before I get to kind of you know, open roads away from traffic where I can actually, you know, would be would be able to feasibly start doing some kind of intervals or or proper riding where you weren't just stop starting all the time. Whereas when you get on the turbo, you know, there's no junction, there's no traffic lights, there's no traffic. So you you can just be constantly pedaling. And so the rate at which you were kind of in accumulating a training load is just so much more efficient on an indoor trainer. And you know, for someone like me who's got a young baby and you know, a job and just, you just generally very busy, you know, if you've only got sort of 45 minutes to train, you know, if you're going to go outside, you've got to get all your kit on kind of get, make, you know, pump up your tires, get the bike ready, you know, kind of check your brakes, you know, do all of those things that you should be doing. And then you've got to maybe, yeah, spend 10 or 15 minutes riding out to the countryside to, you know, you don't have enough time to do anything good. And then when you get back, you might have to clean your bike as well. If you're, you know, kind of obsessive about it, like me, obviously not applicable to everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah it's that time efficiency you know you're constantly pedaling when you're on the indoor trainer and so that means you're just yeah accumulating a training load so much quicker than you would otherwise and and so for that reason alone it's worth doing
0: and are you using a training app every time you use the smart trainer now are you still are you going old school sometimes
1: (laughs) no i use a training app every time now i used to set interval sessions up on my garmin uh obviously other (laughs) other computer brands are available but um and that would just prompt me, but I ended up just doing the same sort of two or three sessions every single time. I would do two by 20 minutes at FTP and then maybe kind of like, you know, five times five minutes at uh, VO2 max pace or something. And, and I like you, I'm a creature of habit and I'm also like, I don't like new things. So once I start doing things that I get into the same habit, I do the same thing over and over again. So now my habit is to use an indoor training app. And yeah, I, Swift's the one I use at the moment because I really like the kind of group dynamics and and i and i like the social aspect so that really that that helps helps keep me motivated but yeah once i'm into something i can just keep doing the same thing and i think yeah, you know, that that's a space
0: that has seen a lot of development um over the last few years and and, and i suppose really it started with the smart trainer in terms of being able to um provide a, an interactive training experience whereby the trainer can uh, automatically adjust resistance either because you're starting a particular interval or Perhaps you hit a, a virtual climb, um, and we've seen a number of different apps either be kind of relaunched or launched in that time. So, can you talk us through some of the options that riders do have if they do want to use an indoor training app?
1: Yeah, so I think most people listening to this podcast will have probably heard of Zwift, and Zwift is a kind of virtual, uh, you know, virtual cycling world where you can do group rides, races. You can obviously ride around the virtual uh, virtual worlds and you know, climb virtual mountains, all of that stuff uh they they offer a really good sort of social package and obviously a racing package and things like that they do also offer workouts and training plans but they're not uh necessarily as kind of customizable and it's not really their focus i would say so if you are someone who's really serious about your training or wants to be really serious about your training then other apps like say trainer road wahoo system offer much more kind of tailoring workouts and training plans to your individual needs. And so if you're kind of focused, you know, if you're, if you're the kind of person who's like really focused on their outdoor racing and wants to improve over the winter, then maybe those are a better fit, but there's also obviously competitors to Zwift, like such as RGT cycling, which offer uh, a kind of more realistic virtual world, which is modeled on say real world clients. So if you are training for like a Grand Fondo or Sportive and, you know, like a European, um, Sort of amateur bike race, and you you know you want to know what it's like to climb the Stelvio before you actually go get a chance to do it for real, then an app like that can kind of simulate the Stelvio in your <laughs> spare room or garage if you're the kind of masochist who likes to do that. So, yeah, there's there, there's lots, of, and of course you know there, there's there's countless extra apps, and that, that, you know I'm sure there are new ones being created all the time, but I think those are probably the big ones.
0: Mm. And I think um, uh, you know as the most recent launch, Wahoo Systems, an interesting one, in that it uh, rolls up the old uh offering from the Sufferfest into a new package that combines um uh, various other new bits of content and um features but uh do you have any experience of using the Sufferfest previously
1: uh no i the thing is i used to kind of do that's that's kind of what i used to do in a sense i used to do interval training and i would watch pro races um so i can and i can so i can definitely see the appeal of that because i, I have a person who watches world tour bike races and um you know, like to do interval training. I think, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to trying to trying system out actually because I think one of the things that my training has been lacking is a kind of like I, I've always kind of formulated my own training plans kind of ad hoc on the go, and so I've never really committed to something properly long term. You know, so I think that'll be that'll be a really interesting one to try out and to try out something you know structured long term and, and see if it actually does kind of you know that specificity of the training plan does that bring added gains on top of just kind of doing general training and riding over the winter
0: mm. and as you say you know, each app whilst they are generally very varied and offer a lot of features they all have a slightly different pitch in terms of the type of rider that they're aiming at whether it is someone who wants social group rides and races someone who wants that um kind of vr or, or kind of real world experience in terms of being able to um ride a virtual uh equivalent of the Stelvio or the Tourmalet. Um, or someone who uh, is less interested in that but wants a very focused structured training plan for a very specific goal Um, so yeah I'm sure we'll catch up over the next few weeks as to how you're finding um, Wahoo system and the various other apps out there and how your training is going but I mean is there anything uh, I mean at this time of year uh, after the uh, the main kind of summer season's finished most riders um, if they are dabbling in in a training plan are starting to look towards base training but is that something that you do on the turbo trainer where things are typically more geared towards interviews or intervals, or is it kind of hard and fast for every session?
1: No, so I'm definitely someone who believes in base training. Now, of course, this will be different for everyone because everyone, I think, I think, you know, I'm not a coach, but I think we're kind of all understanding these days that people react to different training and different stimulus differently. You know, we're all different, but base training really works for me. And I find that if I do, too much intensity especially early on in the winter when everyone's you know all the kids are going back to school and there's a lot of bugs floating around if i do too much intensity i get tired and then i get ill and then i lose two weeks of training and i and i put myself back you know it's one step forward two steps back so i think especially in this kind of early part of the the winter training season it, you know you can come it you can come at it with a lot of enthusiasm and then you know you've got to remember that if you're you know if you've got a goal in mind for next year, whether it's in the summer or something, actually like you've got a lot of time before then. So what I think I really try and focus on, and and I'm saying all of this, and I'm sure like in three weeks time, I'll have said, oh, I just did all this swift racing and I I fall a nil, caught a cold, but I'm trying really hard to focus on sort of sustainable long-term fitness gains rather than the kind of quick fix of doing a lot of intensity, seeing maybe a kind of like a big jump but then feeling tired and losing motivation in two months time. And then, you know, we hit Christmas, (laughs) I eat too much food and, you know, do too little training. And then, you know, you are basically back at zero again.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that is, you know, it's an interesting point around indoor training generally. And something we've spoken about previously is just that, you know, it is because it is more motivating than ever because it is fun. Even if it can be painful at times, it is very easy to train hard every day. Um, and you know some people can take that but you know a, a lot of people can't and so there is an element of having to manage that in terms of um either not getting ill or, or ultimately being able to give your body time to recover and and get the most out of any kind of training schedule or training plan so you know that probably be one to cover in our coaching q a that we'll set up in a couple of weeks where we get a coaching board and perhaps delve into that and, and you know what's the best way to balance the the needs of base training versus intervals and if there's a sweet spot there. Um, so I think to move on now to to smart trainers, as that's where uh, the development has been alongside uh, indoor training apps over the last few years. You're someone who's just tested a whole bunch of smart trainers for us on on Bike Radar, um, but I think just to start, you know, can you just give us a very quick summary of the benefits of a smart trainer and how it works?
1: So obviously a, a classic turbo trainer, you know, you, you attach your bike, typically clamp it at the rear axle, and the rear wheel will spin on a roller, which provides resistance and You know, you can click through your gears to change the kind of pedaling resistance, but it's just about kind of replicating riding outdoors inside in some ways. Now, with smart trainers, the trainer has a kind of a magnetic brake or electric brake or a motor to basically allow it to control the resistance. And then in conjunction with a like a bike computer or an indoor training app, it can use that ability to control the resistance to simulate a course or to simulate, say, the group dynamics of a group a virtual group ride and all of this essentially just makes the experience more immersive and you know it sounds like such a simple thing but it genuinely does make such a difference because obviously when you're riding outside as as the terrain changes the kind of the resistance you feel changes and so it really does tap into that and then once you've got you know some like an app giving you instructions or a virtual group ride to follow it, it is amazing how much more enjoyable and interactive and immersive it can be so so yeah there are different types of uh smart trainers and i suppose we'll probably come on to that in a minute and and obviously they range in price massively and i can talk to you through the kind of you know, the, the costs and benefits of those as well
0: i think um you know, you tested, it, as, you, as you've just alluded to, it, a whole range of trainers for us, right from budget options like the, the tax flow all the way through to top end options from Wahoo and the Wahoo Kicker and the Elite Diretto that you, you currently use as a, as, a, as a very good mid-range option. Um, For someone who is looking to buy a smart trainer, and we, we will run a specific episode on buying a smart trainer and what to look out for. But, you know, generally speaking, what are the kind of key differences between the budget end of the market and someone who's looking to spend or could be spending up to a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars?
1: So at the really high end, everything, unless you're going to get a kind of like dedicated indoor bike, you know, which which may be an option if you if you really want something that's a kind of set up and forget option. But a kind of high end smart trainer is typically a direct drive. And so that's where you remove the rear wheel and, mic, uh, and mount the bike directly onto the turbo trainer. Now those offer, re, you know, really good ride feel, great power accuracy. They also tend to be uh, quieter as well. At the more budget end, you typically get wheel on smart trainers which are more like a kind of classic turbo trainer where you mount your bike at the axle with the rear wheel still attached and the rear wheel sits against the roller and then obviously you pedal and the roller provides resistance now those tend to be cheaper they are kind of measuring power on you know on on the roller but there's the interaction between the tire and the roller and your tire pressure and so the power accuracy tends not to be quite as good but actually, some of my testing shows it's you know not too bad at all so if you' you know if you're on a budget, it's not necessarily a reason to put you off, but they are they do tend to be louder um, they tend to have pretty decent noise at kind of just you know kind of riding along at decent you know at kind of casual pace. but when you start doing sprints and kind of higher wattage intervals, the noise levels can ramp up and obviously. You know, depending on how much room you've got, if you've got a garage, if not, if you're trying, if you're trying to train in the kind of spare room next door to your, you know, family trying to watch TV or maybe a baby sleeping or something, then then that could be more of a problem. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, with, with a new baby in your family, the the,
0: <laughs> the noise output of any indoor trainer yeah. has suddenly become very relevant <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, we we will discuss uh, the key features to look out for when buying a smart trainer in, in a in a in a future episode. So uh, won't kind of dwell too long here. But we also have a video on our YouTube channel now, um, where Simon uh, reviews and discusses the the top ten trainers as we see them on the market from a, a whole range of price points and brands. So definitely worth checking that out as well, and the written reviews on BikeRadar.com. Um, I also think it's worth just to finish up here. You know, sometimes it's easy, I think, to overstate the impact of a new technology whether it's disc brakes or tubeless or aerodynamics or or where whatever it might be down bikes and mountain biking but i think you know smart train is a you know genuinely an area that have been a game changer over the last few years it has it has changed indoor training for the better um and yeah i can say that as someone as i said at the top who rarely kind of dabbled in indoor training um every now and again uh a few years ago who now kind of trains fairly regularly indoors and, and actually enjoys it and, and wants to do kind of get into that rhythm whether it's uh, a Zwift training plan or a Wahoo training plan or um, the uh, the kind of schedule of events and races that you can pick and choose from it has make a, made a big difference to my fitness through winter um, and just my enjoyment sometimes you don't want to get out on the bike if it's pouring down with rain at five o'clock after work but you can jump on the, the train for 45 minutes um, so I think it is definitely an area that you know has definitely benefited a lot of riders, and as it's developed, there are more affordable options on the market as well. Um, so I think look, let's get into some of your specific smart trainer tips um, and your setup at home. So you uh, you said at the top that you're using an Elite Direto XR, but for our listeners at home, can you kind of visually give them a tour of your Zwift setup, your indoor training setup? <laughs> um in your spare room
1: so my spare room is uh full of boxes of you know various products we get in we get in for work so it, it my my bike sits in a kind of corner surrounded by um other bits of uh new cycling tech but but yeah and then so i i have my i have a desk and then it's got a kind of my laptop and a, and a kind of and a second screen which is that's where i you know where i write all of my incredible articles for BikeRadar.com. And then I just turn the screen round and um, the second screen round, sorry. And and then you know that sits in front of my uh, my bike and the turbo trainer. I also have a trainer mat underneath because it's it's in an upstairs room and you know we have carpet, and so the trainer mat helps catch all of the kind of wax that flakes off my beautifully clean chain, <laughs> which is very convenient. But I also have a. You know, I use a front wheel riser block. I think those are really important for kind of increasing stability. I find that the front wheel can kind of flop around a bit if you don't have one of those. And so like for the kind of £10 or so that they cost, I think that's a really key accessory. Um, I also have a very big fan. I used to have a smaller fan, one that measured around 30 centimetres, but I've got one that is almost twice the size. It's kind of like the one, it's the kind of fan you'd buy at Screwfix or something. It's a more of an industrial fan. And for me... It, uh, you, you know your fan is a really key accessory because you don't realize how hot it is in your house until you <laughs> until you start doing an indoor training session without a fan so you must get a fan and um and yeah i mean that that's pretty much it obviously like it you know it sounds like it's not that much kit but obviously i've kind of got you know kit on the higher end of the price range but if you had a, a lower end smart trainer, that all comes together for not that much money, really.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, the, the fan that I've got, which is a decent size, it's uh it's from a brand called Honeywell, which I think is mm. an absolute staple in the indoor training yeah. scene. I know a lot of people <laughs> have got that particular fan because yeah. I think it's a decent size and it's not too noisy and it's on you can get it on Amazon for uh about twenty quid or something. Um, I mean that's the that's the question. Can a fan ever be too big for indoor training?
1: It, you know, obviously it de- it depends what you're doing, right? Like I, I so I used to have a kind of a fan very similar to that. and and it w- it was fine if you kind of got the angle of it precisely right. But I always felt, you know, and I'm the kind of person who does actually carry on indoor training through the summer as well. And you know, in the summer months, I find a, a fan that small just doesn't cut it. So if you want to do your indoor training all year round, you know, because <laughs> because, like me, you enjoy it, then um, then yeah I'd say like I would say invest in a slightly bigger fan a more powerful fan because I, I don't think you you know you could always put it on a lower setting if you're getting too I don't think I've ever been too cold on the turbo
0: no same. <laughs> and I think yeah you know not to kind of spend too long talking about fans but the, the fact we have um suggests that it is a really important accessory to have to the extent that some brands like Wahoo have developed an indoor training specific fan uh, and I think tax as well and it's um indoor smart bike has some small probably fairly underpowered fans built into it um so in terms of your your kind of setup and and you know what else you might use when you are training indoors um if you're doing a long session and you are are, and you are sweating a lot i assume that you are getting through a lot of fluid
1: yeah and and that's one of the things i always try and do is i'll always take more water than i think i need and 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 actually you know i so i'll always take a 750 ml bottle for example rather than a kind of 500 even if i'm only going to thinking i'm going to do kind of 45 minutes or an hour because you just don't want to run out of fluids whilst whilst you're on the on the bike i mean especially partly probably because i've got this massive fan that's blowing dry air in my face and my mouth feels really dry but running out of running out of fluids is is always a, a big issue and you know I've got a very sympathetic wife who, if she's around, I can call her and she probably will bring me a spare bottle if I need one. And I have had to do that a couple of times, you know, if this kind of session's gone on slightly longer than I thought it was going to. But, um, you know, if you don't have that that person at home and you have to, you know, if you're doing a swift race or something or a group ride, if you have to stop, you're going to lose the wheel and you're never going to get back on. You know, they're not, the group isn't going to stop for you to refill your water bottle. So it's really, really important to have everything you need set set up before you get on the bike. And so I think, you know, as well as water bottles, I would also include things like having emergency food within reach, you know, often if you've been rushing around all day, and as you said, you know, after work, you're just, you want to just quickly jump on the bike before dinner. But if you've been working really hard, like I'm sure we all do, and you haven't eaten anything since lunch, you might get on the bike and start to feel a bit like, you know, (laughs) it sounds ludicrous, but I've had points where I'm thinking, oh, I might be about to bonk (laughs) on the indoor bike. So I typically have you know kind of cereal bar or you know a, a, an energy gel just just nearby or something that if you're starting to feel a little bit a little bit hungry you can just have a little bite to eat you don't have to kind of finish your session and and kind of waste that time i just find that helpful i know it sounds a little bit ridiculous you know but um yeah that's something i do
0: yeah I man I, I can say from experience that uh trying to eat on the indoor trainer yeah normally something kind of dry like an energy bar or cereal bar with a fan blowing in your face <laughs> while your heart's going at 190 beats per minute is, <laughs> is a difficult experience. Um, but yeah, always useful to have something to hand if you need it. And and as you say, uh, having fluid to hand more than anything, because you are sweating a lot and you normally are working hard, but yeah, I think, you know, for you in particular and having your wife to call upon brings a new meaning to the term domestic. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been saving that one up for a while, but um, yeah, you know, I've, I've got on the trainer before and, and and started a really hard group ride, I think, um, where, yeah, you're really motivated to stay in the group. It's hard, you know, it's an hour at, at threshold effectively and then realise 10 minutes in that I've left the water bottle by the sink. And so then you've got a decision to make. Do you try and get through the session or do you get off? And as you say, you're going to lose the wheel and you'll find another group to ride in. But um yeah, It's yeah. disappointing. <laughs> it's disappointing, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's about being prepared, isn't it? And having a setup at home that works for you that you can jump on quickly if you need to um I also know that you're someone who and related to, to sweating and fluid who likes to wear a sweatband when on the trainer
1: yeah that's right and uh, again like like I said I've been indoor training for a long time and I, you know I, I used to do what everyone did I used to just you know, drape a towel over the handlebars um but I found that you know like like you kind of alluded to then George like when you're kind of really in the middle of a hard session it, you know like one of the advantages of an indoor trainer is you can really push yourself to the limit because you know, you're in a safe environment. I've uh, Touch wood. I've never crashed. <laughs> I've never crashed an indoor bike, but so you can really kind of go for it. But like the, the disadvantage of a towel I find is that you could drop it. And again, like if you drop your towel in the middle of a hard race or a workout or a group ride or something, you know, it's just going to be down by your feet. But if you stop pedaling to try and grab it, you're probably going to lose the wheel. And so, you know, you just to be staring at this towel down there, (laughs) teasing you, teasing you, wishing, you know, like I've I've forgotten to open the window before and then it's just in your corner of your eye. You're like, I really want to open this window, but I can't, you know, I can't stop. So I find sweatbands, but you know, you can wear one on your wrist, like a tennis player. I like to have a, you can use a kind of classic cotton cycling cap. I find those are very good for absorbing sweat, stopping sweat dripping in your eyes, or even a kind of, you know, tennis uh, sweatband for your head as well. I find those to be, Really, really good. Just for you know, it's always on your wrist. It doesn't you know, it doesn't weigh anything, and you can just kind of wipe your brow with it really, really easily. So, yes, heart, heartily recommend those.
0: Have you tried either through your your personal experience or through the job? I'm not sure you have any indoor training specific kit.
1: I do actually. Yeah, I do, and um I would say it's it's a kind of it's a marginal gain. You know, uh, I have I have some very nice indoor training kit from No Pins, and I think. If you were very serious about your indoor training, then it's you know it's a kind of like especially because they're made with pockets to put kind of freezeable ice packs in, and it's a you know it's it is a really great idea and I think if you're very serious about your training, it it would be a a, you know a marginal gain. But I have to say like you know a normal pair of bibs and a kind of summer base layer works just as well and. Mm -hmm typically if you're if you're just kind of a casual indoor rider like i i would say there's no need to splash out on uh expensive indoor specific training kit your summer bibs and a summer base layer will work just fine
0: yeah and i think yeah if if you're like me you often just use the kit that you know is perhaps a bit too worn for the for the group (laughs) ride but you know yeah fine for training in the kitchen um Brilliant. Well, let's talk through some of your smart trainer tips in terms of getting the most out of a smart trainer. And uh, you're someone that typically trains with a power meter most of the time, both outside uh, and inside. And one of the key benefits and features of a smart trainer is the ability to measure power. Um, But also just like a regular power meter, you might have to calibrate it every now and again. So can you talk us through what you need to do there? It will depend on the trainer, but also perhaps why someone needs to consider doing that.
1: Yeah. So just, just as for why you should consider doing it in terms of, you know, tra- the whole point of training with a power meter is to put a kind of discrete number on your fitness, right? So if you, you know, if you're FTP or whatever you're using critical power or, you know, Wahoo uses their 4DP power profile, if you are testing that or kind of, you know, your five minute power profile or anything like that, then you're putting a kind of discrete number on how good you are, you know, whatever it is. And so, you want to ensure that number is accurate so that if you see an improvement, you know that you've made an improvement and you know, maybe vice versa if you've not been training that much. Uh, so, yes, like with a out, you know, like with a power meter though you an on bike power meter that you would put on your bike, it's important to calibrate the power meter in a smart trainer as well. Now, as you say, there's kind of different ways to do it depending on the type of smart trainer you have, but most of them would would do what's known as a spin-down calibration, where you Basically, you take the uh trainer, whether it's a wheel-on trainer or a direct drive trainer, you pedal up to a certain speed, and then the you just stop pedaling, you let the trainer kind of f- let the trainer flywheel spin down to zero and it kind of takes a temperature reading, takes a torque reading, you know, kind of does its internal calculations. And and like with a normal on-bike power meter, it's like pressing tear on your scales. You're telling it what is zero watts with zero load. And so that then it can use its power curve to say, you know, if this is zero, then this torque is X watts. And so, yeah, it's really important to kind of do that. I would say you don't need to do it every single time. If you're really, really focused on your numbers, you can do it every time you do a training session. But generally smart trainers are pretty good as long as they're left in the same place in the same environment. If you move your trainer or, you know, you take it from inside the house to your garage where there could be a big temperature shift, it's probably worth doing it again. Same with your wheel on Smart Trainers. Your tyre pressure is very important because that can be a variable. And so I would say pump your tyre up to a kind of 100, 100, 105 PSI or whatever and kind of make sure it sticks at that tyre pressure. And that, and then that should negate the need to perform a calibration on your wheel on Smart Trainer too often.
0: And you know, related to to power, as I said, one of the, the key benefits of a Smart Trainer is that you get a power figure but you sometimes also use your on-bike power meter in conjunction with a smart trainer. Um, Why? What's, what's the point? If you've already got one, why would you use the other?
1: Yeah. So, you know, like, like, like with any set of scales, they're kind of, they tend to be accurate to within a kind of certain degree and with power meters, we know that as kind of plus or minus 1%, plus or minus 2%. But obviously, you know, your smart trainer is also measuring power further down the drivetrain. So there will be some, you know it depends on how clean your drivetrain is there'll be some drivetrain losses and so it will measure power just slightly differently to to your on-bike power meter now if you really care about the kind of you know three or four watts difference that you might see just through kind of normal use then if you use your on-bike power meter you should be getting power figures that kind of are consistent between your outdoor riding and your indoor riding it's not it's not critical but you know if you, like i said if you if you kind of if you want to know that you've made a four watt improvement and and you care about those 1 and 2% then that can just be a useful way just to ensure that the kind of training load and your kind of fitness uh targets are actually being met mm.
0: and you could also use a a, a kind of a, a classic or dumb trainer um with an on-bike power meter to use a training app with an accurate power figure without having to invest in a smart trainer. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you definitely can. And actually that's how I kind of first before I got a smart trainer, that's how I first started accessing, you know, things like Zwift and you know, I wanted a trial of trainer road and things like that. And that's so that yeah, that's a really good way. If you have a on-byte power meter already, even a kind of old ANT plus one, you can just get an ANT plus dongle for your computer or whatever, whatever kind of device you're using. And then you can connect that to an indoor training app. Now you won't obviously get the kind of immersive experience of the smart trainer controlling the resistance at your at your rear wheel, but if it's actually you know it, it's surprisingly not that bad. You know you, you can still do the group riding. You can still go cl- set a time up out to Swift. It's just obviously. You have to you know, maybe have a trainer that controls the resistance manually, or if you've got a fluid trainer that ramps up the resistance as you pedal harder, you might have to climb out the Swift in the big ring. <laughs> mm.
0: um, and also, you know, one of, one of the key differences between using a dumb trainer and a and a smart trainer is is erg mode, and that's the automatic automatic ad- adjustment of resistance. Um, you know, for example, uh, if you used a training app. Um, for a prescribed training session, and you were uh, uh, doing intervals between 100 watts and 200 watts, the smart trainer would automatically adjust the resistance to make sure you're hitting that number, um, regardless of what the power is. Uh, Erg-, Erg mode has a, a, a range of benefits in terms of making sure that you actually hit the power. So it's great for structured training. Um, it also takes some of the thinking out of it in terms of having to to kind of try and hit a power number yourself or um, adjusting. Uh, the resistance on a on a dumb trainer, um, on the handlebars you have done previously. But, you know, there are some pitfalls to use in erg mode. And um, if the resistance gets on top of you, you kind of get into the, the spiral of death, I think it's called, where you just can't overcome what the trainer's trying to ask you to do. So, I mean, is that something that, that you've come across where actually erg mode's been working against you every now and again?
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially for someone like me who is not a sprinter, you, you know, if if you're trying to trying to use erg mode for interval training and then it comes up with a big sprint if your legs are feeling slightly tired if you don't hit that power number it's going to clamp on the resistance more to try and hit make you hit that power number but of course if if you just can't do it your cadence is going to slow and then when your cadence slows the trainer adds more resistance because obviously you know power is torque times cadence so if your cadence slows you're going to be producing less power for the same torque and then yeah you can just kind of grind to an exhausted halt and then it can feel yeah, you feel very put out by the whole thing uh but like yeah like i said it 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 it's very easy for that to happen so i would say if you're doing a a workout with 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 sprints in it i would say erg mode's not the best thing you know because of that but also because when you're sprinting it's good to do it kind of in the big ring learn how to click through the gears in a smooth thing that in a smooth way that's also an important skill I would say for a time trialist as well erg mode is probably typically best done in the kind of smaller ring in the middle of the cassette because at lower flywheel speeds speeds, smart trainers tend to have better power accuracy but obviously if you're a time trialist you're going to be riding in the big ring at a kind of like higher flywheel speeds and so simulating that feeling of riding in the big ring is it's important to the muscle firing patterns i find so it can be good for targeted workouts. And, and like you say, it takes out a lot of the thinking. All you have to do is kind of just hit the right cadence and then the smart trainer adjusts. So if you're doing kind of, you know, up and down intervals or on and off intervals, then then it can be great for that. But I wouldn't say it's good for everything. So it is best used strategically. Yeah.
0: I think, you know, for me, for me personally, with, with power being a um, multiplication of um, cadence uh, times torque, I personally find that I try and keep my cadence higher on the smart trainer because you know whilst theoretically it's not easier to maintain the same power because power is power in terms of keeping on top of erg mode it's much easier for me to keep it 100 rpm or 120 versus getting tired and nudging down to 80 and 70 and then the torque requirement is really ramping up and that's when you start to get into problems so do do you try and keep your cadence up as well
1: yeah definitely if you're using erg mode that's something you really want to do you know if it says 90 rpm you want to be kind of 95 rpm because as you say if you drop your cadence below that then it's going to start clamping on the resistance and, and when you're on the limit that can <laughs> that can you can quite easily as you say it will ask you for more torque and if you just can't produce it you're going to struggle and and, and yeah again that's know something that for example when i'm doing time trial intervals i quite like to do a big ring high flywheel speed with maybe a cadence around 85 rpm but in erg mode, I, I I can't always deliver exactly what it wants. And so I prefer to just use my gears for that. But if I'm doing, you know, maybe VO2 max intervals or something like that, and when it's one minute on, one minute off, then, yeah, like erg mode is perfect for that because I know I'm going to want to do that at a, at a reasonably high cadence. It doesn't necessarily have to be a kind of big ring effort. And having to kind of like shift into the big ring from the small ring to make that big, change in resistance on my bike would be sort of impractical so it's much better to allow the turbo trainer to do that for you
0: yeah and i think as well um uh you know has has a has a range of benefits you know it is really crucial to the the kind of smart trainer experience but also having spoken to a couple of coaches before you know inevitably that's not how we ride on the road so if you are someone who also um trains and races to power out on the road where you don't have erg mode dictating what your power requirement is almost training your ability to ride to a set power is also really important because if you are in a road race and you get in a break and you realize actually we're going to be away for half an hour here so i can only sustain x number of watts being able to just keep on top of that without thinking about it too much is important and that is something you can train on the turbo trainer but not if you're always using erg mode um, and I think also as well, you know, how your muscles work and fire, as you kind of said previously, um, always ride into a prescribed uh, power isn't always the most effective way to to kind of train your slow twitch, fast, uh, slow twitch muscles versus fast twitch muscle fibers. Um, so, yeah, perhaps I think that the kind of one takeaway might be for those outright sprint sessions where ultimately you're just trying to ride as hard as you can for a very short amount of time erg mode perhaps isn't the best option
1: yeah and i think if you're training for something that's outdoors as well like you say it's i think it's a really good point that that's just not how you ride outdoors and so you know if you're kind of training to climb big mountains or something i would not recommend you know turning on erg mode putting the resistance up to six percent or something and then just doing an hour at that because a real climb has kind of steeper bits and then maybe a switchback where it shallows out again you might have to click down the gears and so if you go you know climb out the Zwift that's kind of replicated on the course but if you just use erg mode to flatten it out and rode at you know 300 watts for 20 minutes to try and you know simulate that kind of climbing FTP effort it's not quite the same as having to kind of go slightly above that on the steeper sections of the climb and then maybe you can have a little rest on the switchback before you have to go over that again and so that kind of like as you say that more sort of i think the word is stochastic uh stochastic way of riding in the real world is different to riding on the turbo so yes if your real world goals are in the real world then it is useful to try and replicate that indoors as well
0: mm. and i think you know the po- the point around um gradient changes is a good one because ultimately it's the gradient change that's dictating the difficulty and you know providing you're not uh, absolutely set on riding to a prescribed wattage in that particular session working towards that gradient change is the most effective way to train for it in the, w- in the real world. Um, so I think, you know, some of the trainers that you've tested recently, um, I think most tend to communicate by vo- uh, both Bluetooth and, and plus these days in terms of how the information is sent from the trainer to your laptop or your TV or your, your computer. Um, do you tend to use one or the other in terms of getting a reliable signal? Um, and uh, back to my original question, do all trainers now offer both, or does that tend to be at the, at the kind of middle end of the market?
1: No, most trainers these days. I, I can't think of any that don't offer both. Um, I would say at my home personal setup. I t- I will typically because I have to do a testing and I and I connect. You know, maybe, <laughs> you know, I've got a smart trainer, maybe two power meters on the bike, and then a heart rate monitor, and and so I I often use ANT Plus to connect all of those things together because then you can you know record on kind of on Zwift and on a bike computer at the same time. But generally I find Bluetooth to be a more reliable form of, of connecting things together just because ANT Plus can get a little bit of interference from Wi-Fi signals. If you have a kind of router running an older uh, Wi-Fi signal or your neighbor does, <laughs> that can often interfere with a with the kind of um, wireless communication channels that ANT Plus use, whereas Bluetooth I find to be much more stable so if you've only got one device bluetooth is really good now the problem with bluetooth is that you can't always connect you you can't connect your smart trainers to bluetooth to these you know to your kind of indoor training app and bluetooth on your bike computer at the same time bluetooth is a kind of one-to-one thing so if you want a dual record in case you know your computer crashes and you don't want to lose your data which is something i often do then ant plus is better for that but in general, if you're not doing that, Bluetooth is probably what I would recommend.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, going going back to your point as well, but making sure you have everything to hand. Um, for me personally, even though I've got a, a pretty good laptop, always make sure that I have my laptop power cord to hand or, or plugged <laughs> yeah. in from the start because... You know, often um, any app that I run on my laptop or particularly an indoor training app where it's having to communicate with um, wirelessly with the the trainer means that the battery is going to drain almost instantly. And
1: uh, yeah, you don't want your laptop crashing halfway through the ride. Yeah, I've had that happen to me. I uh, actually, this is this is a a nice little tip. Um, If you get bored of the kind of traditional ramp or FTP tests that are in, you know, most uh, indoor training apps. I find a kind of virtual mountain time trial to be a kind of slightly more motivating thing, you know, especially if you think, oh, I've, you know, made a fitness gain here, because then you can kind of go for a, a personal best time. And uh, yeah, I was going for a personal best time on Outdoor Swift, Zwift and I'd forgotten to plug my laptop in and my laptop just crashed <laughs> when I was three quarters of the way up the mountain. So sort of yeah, 35 minutes into a, you know, forty-five minute effort or something, my laptop just crashed and I lost it and I was fuming.
0: <laughs> Wait, were you on for a, a PB? I
1: don't know. I don't know. I think I was doing quite well, but I was absolutely fuming because I was, you know, I was really on the limit. And then I was, you know, like I said, like I use it for an FTP test because it takes around 45 minutes. And that that's a much longer interval than you would get. Normally it it, it gives you a figure that's much closer to what you could actually do for an hour. So yeah, I had my heart rate up at you know 180 80 plus beats per minute you know putting out literally all the power that i could and then my laptop died and i lost it
0: (laughs) if it wasn't recorded did it even happen no exactly that's that's the question it's a a good anecdote i can't even even prove it (laughs) um so i think you know just just to wrap up this podcast um you know we've talked through some tips in terms of your setup and accessories and and things you need to make the experience more enjoyable more interactive and and some of your tips around using a smart trainer and calibration uh, and recording data but you know generally speaking are there any other indoor training tips that you'd offer um to help make the experience even more enjoyable or more productive
1: yeah i i think as as with kind of any training having uh something to kind of aim for is really really important and you know i'm someone who likes to train but I have to have a goal it doesn't have to be a very specific goal but I need to be kind of thinking I'm going to be racing next year or you know I want to beat my friend in the group ride or something like that so I have to have something to train for now so my kind of goal next year is going to be around time trials I would really like to go sub 19 minutes at the TT. And I've I've kind of, you know, fag packet calculations. I think I need to find 10 watts, either through aero gains or power output gains or, you know, tailwinds, probably gonna be the one. Um, so yeah, that that that's kind of my goal. And so that's what gets me on the bike. You know, I do the I do the I do on the time trial bike, I do the time trial training sessions. It gives me something to kind of hang. Everything off, and so when I come to it and say, "What am I going to do today?" it's an, it's an easier question to answer. Whereas if you don't have any plans, you know, what am I going to do today? There's too much. It's like you know, like trying to choose a, a TV show to watch on on Netflix, or if you've got a thousand apps, there's there's too much choice. So narrowing down your choice makes it much easier. And yeah, if you're a social person. Then doing some social indoor riding on, you know, a, a kind of group ride, maybe on Zwift, or you know, meeting someone on on Discord to do a training session on Trainer Road or a Wahoo system or, or something else can be really motivational because you know we all know that if you arrange to meet someone, they'll hold you to account, right? They'll turn up, and if you're not there, whether it be online or in the real world, they're going to complain. So being social with your indoor rider, even though it can feel like a really solitary thing, actually. I would encourage you to be social.
0: Yeah, and, and to go back to motivation. Sorry to be a, a, a doom merchant, but the the <laughs> too late TT is a circular course, and what, so whilst you might yeah. get favourable wind conditions, um, I think you have to train harder and not rely on a tailwind.
1: Well, there was a really fast day when um, this year, Max Steadman. Broke the course record and set a time like uh, in the low seventeen minutes. So I don't think I'm going to get anywhere near that. But a lot of people hit a PB that day. So there's something about it is a circular course as you say, but it's also exposed in places. So I think if you have the tailwind in the right place and you hit it on a day on a low pressure day, it could be good. But you know, like I said, only need to find last year's only need to find this year's fitness plus ten watts. And so obviously, with, yeah, exactly. With with the rate at which aero technology is improving. I, should, I won't even have to pedal. Well,
0: hopefully we'll we'll uh, get back on the podcast in, in six or eight months' time and you've had a storm in indoor training season Yeah, and uh, you get the perfect weather conditions and, um, yeah, you can tickle that sub-19 well, figure.
1: I, yeah, or I can just tell you all my excuses.
0: Yeah, well, and we've got plenty of e-bikes that need to be tested as well. So Exactly. Um, well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. We've covered a lot of ground today in terms of uh, your tips and hacks and, and how to get the most out of indoor training. Um So in the next episode, we will look closer at how to choose a smart trainer. We've covered some of that ground today, but uh, looking specifically at what you get for your money at various price points and also some of the trainers that you, Simon, have tested over the last couple of years um, and your recommendations there. Um, And through the rest of the series, we'll also be looking at some of your um, uh, or some of our listener questions around indoor training and coaching. We'll have a coach from Wahoo on the podcast where we can talk through some of those questions and also some of the um, some of the questions that Simon and I and I have around indoor training and how to get the most out of this upcoming winter. Um, so we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Simon, for joining us.
1: Thanks very much, George. My pleasure.
0: And thank you to our listeners for joining the podcast. Remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through uh whatever podcast platform you use. Leave us a review. We always value the, the feedback. Um, and we will hear from you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.